What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the afternoon hours of Tuesday, December 27th, 2022. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas holiday. We've got a few days left in 2022 before we ring in the new year. And it sort of seems like the Cardinals baseball front office has has taken its holiday very seriously. They uh they wouldn't want to risk doing anything fun or exciting around this time of year. I don't know how uh, unusual that is for the Cardinals. Honestly, it's not all that unexpected, I think, that the Cardinals would sort of uh, take this break over the holiday. I wouldn't expect to see a whole lot going on with the team over the next few days, maybe after the new year, get things rocking and rolling. You never know, I guess. It could happen maybe before uh, New Year's. It's only Tuesday, and uh, a lot of time left before the weekend. I just don't know that we'll see a whole lot of action. But it's been a while since we have done a B-shaped daily. And so what I wanted to do today, I'll make sure to designate it as such on the title of the B-shaped daily episode. But we don't really have a lot of Cardinals to talk to, uh, to talk about, I should say, in this episode uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit of Mizzou, and we will talk some baseball as well because I wanted to get into some thoughts on the Carlos Correa situation. And I guess we could tie that back to whether or not the Cardinals would uh, be an interesting fit or whether I think that would be plausible because starting out the offseason, I thought the Cardinals should make a splash for one of the big uh, free agent bats on the market. And a lot of those bats did exist at the shortstop position. And so I was thinking Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, those would be two names I'd be very, very interested in for the Cardinals. Of course, they've since signed Wilson Contreras. They've got their catcher. Kind of figure that expenditure takes away the possibility that they would sign a hefty contract elsewhere. It was always sort of the idea that if the Cardinals were able to get the catcher that they wanted via trade, that means a lower salary than what they'd have to pay to Contreras, and then maybe there'd be money left over. Uh, not that they don't have the money, but they'd have a willingness to spend the money on another free agent acquisition. So we haven't really seen that play out. We haven't seen the Cardinals do any moving and shaking in the pitching market. We haven't seen any meaningful trades this offseason. Kind of been a little bit of a disappointment unless you were really excited for Wilson Contreras and that was all you hoped they would do because it really is all they've done. Uh, but I, I want to get into the Correa thing because it's just crazy that he is essentially signed multiple $300 million contracts over the past few weeks, except he hasn't signed any of them and none of them have gone through, at least as of this recording on Tuesday afternoon, uh, because the San Francisco Giants weren't happy with what they saw in the physical. They failed him on the physical, didn't like the medicals. And now uh, we thought Santa Steve Cohen was swooping in to sign him for the Mets and that uh, may be in peril as well as they continue to negotiate. And really at this point, any MLB team could negotiate with Scott Boris with Carlos Correa and get him to sign a deal with their team. And so we'll kind of ponder the question, Do you would you even want him at this point, given the concern over the the medicals and the, the physical that he continues to fail for whatever reason? It's part of what makes it tricky is that we don't really know what's going on there. But that's sort of the extent of the Cardinals conversation is just some speculative talk on Carlos Correa. I did want to get into some Mizzou talk. Not really any football today because the Gasparilla Bowl didn't go the Tigers' way. They lost to Wake Forest 27-17. I want to talk bragging rights. And for Cardinals fans that are listening, you might be like, well, I'm an Illini fan, so screw you. I don't want to hear this talk. There will be other episodes that are that are more enjoyable for you, but I did want to get into a little bit of Mizzou basketball talk, ask the question, what could this Tigers team do this season? Is it possible that an NCAA tournament run could be in the cards after what we saw 
at Enterprise Center on Thursday with Missouri taking down Illinois 93-71. to So we'll start with the Cardinals stuff, and then if you're a, a, a true diehard uh, area sports fan, you love Mizzou as well, uh, as I obviously do. Do the big show in KTGR uh, in Columbia, Missouri, weekdays from 4 to 6. You can check that out on KTGR.com if you don't live in mid-Missouri. Uh, so maybe you have that affinity as well for the Tigers, and, and you'll want to listen to that conversation. But let's go ahead and start then with Carlos Correa for baseball fans out there. What a bizarre situation, first of all, to think of all the big contracts that have gone down this offseason in Major League Baseball, the long contracts as well. It's been very notable that these contracts are upwards of 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. The original deal signed by Correa or, or reported that he was going to sign with the Giants was 13 years. And then the Mets contract, 12 years, and that one doesn't even get fortified. Uh, I don't know what's going on here with Correa. But evidently, there's something in the medicals that would suggest such a long deal as very, very risky for the team that signs him. We've seen reports about the 2014 leg injury that he had and how that might be something that pops up not in four years or five years, but maybe 10 years down the road it does. And so that's the thing that teams are concerned about because when you're talking about an average annual value of $30 million plus or whatever – you know, you're in that range, you're in that neighborhood. Every year that you don't have Carlos Correa for down the line is a risk. Now, I've talked about it in terms of, I don't really view it that way. The difference between 10 years and 13 years or 12 years to me is not all that significant. It's easy to say, though, in 2022, 2023, how would you approach it in 2032, 2033? Probably differently. But, you know, that's tomorrow's problem. It's very easy to think that way. And that's sort of the way I think, especially if you look at what the Mets have done this offseason. They're spending all this money. Like, for the Giants, I sort of get it. I don't know that the Giants turn into a World Series contender by adding Carlos Correa. I can't ever really figure out what's going on with that team. You know that you're in a division with the Padres and the Dodgers who are going balls to the wall every year at this point, spending money, although the Dodgers maybe have to, to cut back a little bit for at least one year to reset the competitive uh, balance tax, the luxury tax penalties, they might be doing that with some of the minor league deals that you've seen them ink in the offseason. No real major splashes for Los Angeles. But the, the Padres are absolutely going for it as well, signing Xander Bogarts, and they traded for Juan Soto. You're in that same division. I wanted to give the Giants credit for going after Aaron Judge. You know, they fell short. He went back to the Yankees. I want to give them credit for signing reportedly, getting a, an agreement on a deal anyway with Carlos Correa because I like it when these these MLB teams, it doesn't really matter what market they're in or where they are or who they are, I like it when they spend money because the players, man, they're what makes the game what it is. And if they weren't playing America's pastime at such a high level, we wouldn't be watching it, I don't think, with the intrigue that we have. I think that's just the reality. And so... I like it when the players win. I like it. To, I like to see the players do well. And it's not that I want to see the owners do poorly. We just know that the owners are going to do well. They already have the B in front of their billionaire. It's not like these uh, these contracts. First of all, they're not coming out of the the owners' personal pockets. You know, they're tied to the businesses that they run. And you can do a lot of uh, wonderful accounting. I know wealthy people have great accountants. That's the way it works. And so, uh, it's not as though these owners are are paying directly out of their pockets for these players. And in the long run, it's just going to make the teams, I'm not going to say more profitable because it's not a guarantee that 
by spending the money, you win the World Series and you get the revenue that comes with that and the fan support and all those things. But like it's you're, you're investing in the business and odds are it's, it's going to continue to be profitable for you because there are things that happen that make these business ventures profitable regardless of how the teams perform in the field. Look at the uh, the BAM Tech settlement or the sale, I should say, where every every owner, every team got, I don't know what, what it was, 30-some-odd million dollars because of the BAM Tech sale. It used to be called MLB Advanced Media. They're divesting, and, and Disney is giving money, giving money out. Four or five years ago it happened, and everybody got, I mean, you can, you can Google. I just Googled MLB windfall, BAM Tech. And the story from 2017, MLB teams to make $50 million each from Disney purchase of BAMTech. And then another, in the, 2022, Disney pays MLB $900 million for the remainder of BAMTech and the money dispersed among the 30 teams. So another $30 million bucks that they just get. But, of course, that's non-baseball-related revenue. That's not baseball-related. We don't have to reinvest that back into the teams. It's a joke, and so you're never going to find me uh, feeling sorry for, for the owners because they're doing pretty well. You know, it's not that I dislike them. They're just, they're doing pretty well. And that's, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. They don't, they don't need me to, uh, to stump for them. So I won't. Um, but when it comes to this Correa thing, I think it's a little bit interesting because the owners in general, some owners, Cardinals owner, Bill DeWitt, he's not signing a, a 12-year contract for anybody, right? There's a lot of teams that, that just wouldn't go to that level. And in this case with Correa, evidently there's some concerning medical history that might make that a realistic business decision to not go on the big contracts. Like I was getting to earlier, 10 years versus 13 years, I I don't really care about that all that much. What's the total money being spent is what matters because I could make an argument that Correa, like go back to a time before any of the news came out of what his original contract was. I think it was 13 years, $350 Let's say there was a, a news report, Ken Rosenthal reports, 10 years, $350 million for Carlos Correa's going to the Giants. We'd be like, oh, wow, that's a huge contract. Like, that's crazy. $35 million a year. Yeah, he's a great player, though. That's Like, we might have thought it was a little weird, but nobody would have batted an eye. It would have just been, you know, yeah, it's a big contract. Okay, 13 years, $350 million. Why then is the reaction, holy smokes, 13 years. It's still $350 million. And the only reason it's less, and I'm not going to say the only reason, because I know that 10 and 350 wasn't on the table. It wasn't apples to apples that I can make the comparison that I'm making. But that's why I'm saying hypothetical. Before you knew what it was, if that would have been the original contract, you probably wouldn't have thought a whole lot of it being 10 and 350, other than that's a huge contract. I don't know why our reaction is so different when it comes to 13 years and 350, because all it is is a way to circumvent the luxury tax by a little bit more. Like, it wouldn't have been 10 and 350. Obviously, if they were offering it over 13, they, they'd be dumb to negotiate that and say, we'll give you the same amount for three fewer years. But if it would have been reasonable enough to us as baseball fans and go, oh, yeah, it's about, I mean, it seems a little off, but that's about, you know, the neighborhood I would have expected. Then you could look at it and say, all right, well, 10 years and 310, would that have been, like, what, where's where's the cutoff that it would have been at that point drastically different? Either way, it's still the same ballpark, and they might as well construct it in a way that allows them to circumvent the luxury tax, pay fewer tax penalty per year because the average annual value is driven down the lengthier the contract is. So that part of it never was, was too crazy to me. But I think why in this specific t- case it is maybe a problem 
is because we may not be talking about Carlos Correa in in 10 years even. You know, how old's Carlos Correa? He's in his late 20s. I'll go ahead and uh, Google that real quick so I have the exact age for you. He's 28 years old. He'll turn 29 toward the end of the upcoming season. So give him a 10-year contract. He'll be 38, 39 at the end of it. Yeah, it's, it's old for the production that you'd be uh, obviously getting, I think, for $30 million a year at that point, but not anything too ridiculous, I don't think. We've seen those kinds of contracts. Albert Pujols' contract went into his early 40s, and that was, you know, it didn't go well, of course, at the end, but uh, they're different players, Correa and Pujols, and obviously the the end end of Albert's career went just fine with the Cardinals, so maybe some incompetence there with the Angels weren't able to get the most out of him. Maybe it was just the magic of being back in St. Louis I don't think we'll ever really know what happened and how Albert was able to turn back the clock the way that he did. Uh, I do believe in magic, though, when it comes to sports, so maybe that was just part of it. But my point is, like, it wouldn't be crazy under normal circumstances to think about Correa having a contract end at 39 or 40 or 41 years old. We've seen that happen before, but in this case, if the team that wants to sign you to the deal says, yeah, this leg injury didn't heal the way it should and it may not impact you for the next four years or five years or six years, but in that seven to ten year window, it you know it may break down and you might be unplayable. And we can accept on a thirteen year deal that you're probably going to be unplayable when you're forty one, forty two, even at forty years old. Maybe you're just a a glorified DH at that point. But we can't you know we're signing you to be a shortstop. We got to at least get ten good years out of you on a twelve year, thirteen year contract. And so I feel like that's what the Giants and the Mets are concerned about at this point. And so if that's the way you feel. The obvious solution to me would be another team swooping in and signing a much higher average annual value contract for Correa instead of it being in that range of $30 million, Or I think with uh, the Mets, it would have been 12 years, $315 million because it, it did come down a little bit from where the, the Giants contract was. That's $26 million, $26.25 million on an average annual value basis. Instead of getting that 26.2, tell Correa, like, hey, we'll give you five years at $200 million, Or, I mean, that would be $40 million a year. That'd be crazy. Well, what about three years, one fifty? Less risk, right? Because you're only paying about half of what the total contract would have been. Obviously, you get a lot less benefit because it's shorter in terms of the length of the contract, three years versus a dozen years. That's a substantial difference. But, like, if you're a team that's on the cusp – don't you have to assume that for Correa, the reason you're you're signing this gigantic and long contract is not necessarily because you think in 2031 that Carlos Correa is going to be helping that organization win a championship. No, it's because you've got a team right now and you're like, man, the next three years, that's our window. We could win a championship. And if the medical concern is more of a long-term thing than it is a short-term one, because he played. I mean, Carlos Correa played this past year. He's He's not missed any time because of this. It's sort of a report, I suppose, but more more a rumor than anything else about his leg issue from 2014 being the thing that's uh, cropped up here and, and causing some some concern for folks. But, I mean, the last two years, he's 20, age 26, age 27, 850, 834 OPS, 26, 22 home runs, hitting 279, 291. He's on base of 366 both years. And uh, slugging 485 and then 467. He's been a really good offensive force the last couple of seasons. The COVID year was a little bit rough for him. 
But other than that, he's been a pretty consistent producer offensively throughout his career. He's 28 years old. That is that is right in his prime. If I'm a if I'm an MLB owner and I think I'm close, I'm looking really hard in that direction of Carlos Correa. And it's interesting though. Talk with Will Carroll, the injury expert. You can follow him on Twitter at injury expert. He's a guest of ours on the Big Show on Tuesdays, and we re- recorded with him an interview that'll play on Tuesday afternoon's Big Show. And you can go to ktgr.com as well to check out the interview if you miss the show live. We'll post that on the, the website. And I asked him about the Carlos Correa situation, and he sort of thought along these same lines, but he made the the remark that, you know, which owner is going to be the one that's willing to kind of step out of line? Because right now it's these big, long contracts, and people are okay with that. Multiple teams are doing it. There might be some owners that are concerned about the precedent that it sets, but if you're Bill DeWitt, if you're, you know, an owner that's just not going to go to 12 years with a guy, it, it doesn't really matter to you. You just have to accept that unless you do that market value thing, you're not getting the player. And the Cardinals, just with the way they have operated historically in free agency, aren't going to be in play for those kinds of deals anyway. But what Will mentioned was maybe a concern is if some team does go three years, $150 million for Correa, does he sort of get the side eye at the next owner's meetings because everybody else was kind of like, hey, man, that $50 million a year, like that's you're breaking new ground that we don't really, you know, like Max Scherzer's contract that he signed with the Mets was was sort of in that in line with that. Three years, $130 million. But it makes sense for him because he's already 38 years old, right? He's not going to get an eight-year deal because he's not going to be playing in eight years. That's probably the last contract he'll sign. And he got $130 million, over $43 million per year for the next three years to go to the Mets. It makes sense because of his age. Carlos Correa is a different story because he's 28 years old. He could get an 8, 9, 10, and in, in the world we currently live in, 11, 12-year contract. But wouldn't it be interesting is if a guy could say, I can make $50 million per year for the next three years, nobody else in baseball is going to be making that, I'll do it. And I'll still be 31 years old, ready to sign a new contract. I can do it, you know, can do a seven-year deal then, and then my 10-year deal, assuming I'm healthy enough to do that, and I, I make it three years, and I'm still producing, and teams still want me, that's almost like a 10-year deal where I got it front-loaded to 50 million, and by then inflation will continue happening, and contracts will keep going up, and so I don't think even a 31-year-old Carlos Correa, assuming he's healthy, is going to get screwed in free agency. Like he, the, the caliber of player he is he's probably still going to get another big contract. Who knows what the the landscape could be like at that point. And so for the player that wants to bet on himself in a way, like $150 million is still life-changing money. It's not $300 million, but it's also like it's only three years of work, and then you're, you can do it all over again. Like that should be attractive, I would think. If I were a player, it would be attractive to me because $150 million and $300 million, there's obviously a vast difference between those numbers. But I'll be damned if $150 million wouldn't be a hell of a lot of fun, <laughs> right? So I'm just interested to see if that's something that we could end up seeing. And if so, my answer to the question that I posed at the beginning would be yes. The Cardinals should be in on something like that. They absolutely should be. As much so as anybody in baseball, the Cardinals should be in on that. Because right now, they have a Goldschmidt. They have an Arenado. They have a Wainwright in his final year. They have these players that are in their primes or in their ability to contribute range as, as a baseball player and they won't stay there forever 
And once you win the World Series, they can't take it away from you. It's not like a Reggie Bush Heisman. They just, you have it. You win. The Astros showed that. If they didn't take theirs away, it's never going to happen. So, I mean, that's that's what you play for to me. And if you have a chance to do something really creative, that's what I would want to see a team do. And I think the team that does it, if Correa is amenable to it, if Scott Boris is amenable to it, I don't know why Scott Boris wouldn't be all over the idea of a $50 million average annual value because that would would kind of shatter the glass ceiling for him as an agent. He could say, well, you know, my guy got this, and so the next guy can – it's two years down the road. He's comparable. He, he can get 55 a year over two years. You know, that could suddenly become a, a way that contracts in baseball change kind of go back the other direction. It ebbs and flows. Right now we're seeing a lot of really long contracts. I think it's related to the luxury taxes is the reason we're seeing that. And players, obviously, if you're taking one bite at the apple – First of all, free agency can be stressful, so it's nice to just have to do it once. If you can tell somebody, yeah, you're getting a third of a billion dollars, yeah, I would. there's a lot of things I would do for that kind of money. There, I, I'm not going to be too picky when it comes to uh, having, oh, i got to stay in the same city for the next 13 years? Okay. I think I can I think I can agree to that. That's fine. i got to keep playing baseball? All right, yeah, I'll do that. So I can understand uh, the reasoning for players on that front, but I also – think you could find a number of guys that would say, hey, making $50 million and locking that in for this year and next year and next year, attractive. So I'd be interested to see the way it goes down. It may be that the Mets and Correa renegotiate. But, man, if I'm Correa, I would I would love to entertain that type of contract idea, a shorter deal but a, a higher annual value. And then if you're another owner, just, you know, be willing to do what it takes to to win a World Series. And there's going to be concern about, well, other owners might not like it. Screw them. You know what that's called when owners don't do something because they're worried about the other owners not liking it? Collusion. If they're all saying, hey, let's not sign those kinds of deals because it's going to make it more expensive for the next guy, and we're all in this together. Collusion. It does, You know, unspoken collusion, sure. Collusion by any other name, that's still collusion if you ask me. So that's kind of the way I see it. I would love to see Correa sign that short contract for mega mega dollars and uh, see where it gets him. But we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I don't think the Cardinals would be involved. I think they should be, though. If it's at 3150 yeah, I think that would absolutely be uh, a worthwhile expenditure. It's obviously a ton of money, but it's so short-term, and the Cardinals are worried about being you know, hamstrung long-term. This would not be that. So I'd, I would love to see them get involved. I just don't think it's very likely that they would. Let's talk a little bit of Mizzou basketball, though, before we get out of here. Mizzou hoops. What a turnaround it's been under Dennis Gates this year. We didn't really know what to think about it, I think, until that Illini game happened, and that sort of changed my perspective completely. 9-0 and start the season. You get absolutely stomped by Kansas. It wasn't fun. I was in the building. The atmosphere was electric at Mizzou Arena, and then it wasn't because Kansas was the better team in every regard. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, based on the data that's in front of our eyes right now, it appears that Mizzou is just not quite on that level yet. And that's, uh, you know, disappointing, but it's not surprising. Team won 12 games last year in its entirety. Fired the coach. Most of the players left. A lot of them, you weren't mad to see them go. I mean, it wasn't a good team at all. Disaster for Conzo Martin in the final season. But Dennis Gates comes in. He brings in these transfers from the Horizon League. It's barely considered a like a mid-major conference. You got some guys from uh, the Missouri Valley and some different places. Got a guy from Clemson. Like they, they they brought all these guys in through the transfer portal. They brought in 
some junior college guys as well. And they're like, all right, we're going to make this thing work. And it's like, okay, when you play nobody for the first nine games of the year and you win all your games, that's at least a step up from what Conzo Martin was doing. They lost to UMKC last year, all right? So at least they might not be good. They might not even be NIT material. But I'm thinking 9-0 is better than, than losing to one of these cupcake teams and having that sort of disappointment. But then you lose to Kansas. Like the 9-0 thing gets to your head a little bit, and you think, oh, they, they might have a shot here. And then freaking like Ken Palm and the sports books, they've got Mizzou having a chance, only going to lose by three. The, the point spread is three and a half. Completely bamboozled. I, I've never seen Vegas fooled quite like that. I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. I, I bought in that this was going to be at least somewhat of a competitive game. It was not against Kansas. So at that point, I'm like, all right, lower your expectations. Realize that they have played nobody all year. They beat Wichita State on the road. That's nice, but that's not a tournament team. That's probably not even a bubble team. It's good to get a road win in college basketball. It's not something that I would have expected the last year's Mizzou team to do. Like last year's Mizzou team went to Liberty, which I don't know that they made the tournament or I don't know what their situation was. I don't think they did. They weren't that good, but they were like Wichita State tier, and Mizzou was down like 21-3 to or something at the beginning of that game. They got crushed at Liberty. So to beat Wichita State on the road this year how they did, I was cool with that. But it shouldn't have gotten my hopes up that they could beat Kansas. I, I should have had those in check. I mostly did. I knew better, but, you know, you get into the environment, you're watching it, you go, hey, let's see what happens here. They got crushed. And Kansas was able to exploit, I, I think, things that Mizzou just didn't even know to expect. Like, they hadn't been challenged by anybody on that level, and so they, it showed in their performance. But they go down to Florida, they beat UCF, a, a hard-fought game, last-second buzzer beater. That was great. And then it's like, all right, we got bragging rights coming up. What do you expect? Well, I sort of expected the game to go somewhat similarly to how the Kansas game did. You know, Illinois is not Kansas, but I thought, well, double-digit victory for Illinois, 12 to 15 points, that seems about right. Mizzou lost by like 20-some-odd points to Kansas, whatever it was. Might have been over 30, I don't know. I, I, I sort of put it out of my memory. But then Mizzou comes to St. Louis, bragging rights on the line, and they, for 40 minutes, just absolutely dominate the Illini. And it really started about midway through the first half when they, it was a 15-0 run that Mizzou just couldn't miss a shot. It was unbelievable. They go up by like 20 points and they never look back. They led by more than 30 at one point. I mean, it was dominant. Mizzou, I mean, we don't see Mizzou teams shoot the basketball the way the Tigers shot the basketball on Thursday night in St. Louis. 59% from the field, fantastic. 50% from three-point, that's unbelievable. And Illinois shot very, very poorly. They shot 22% from behind the arc. They were 40% from the field. Illinois just couldn't get a shot to fall. It was it was crazy. They got 19 offensive rebounds, and they still couldn't get these shots to fall. They were getting so many second-chance opportunities, and they couldn't do it. They turned the ball over 17 times. That's what Missouri does. That's what the Tigers can do to you, that havoc defense. I'm just so impressed, though, that it was able to work against, you know, and, and Illinois fans will say, oh, no, it's so funny. It's bragging rights. The, the series, the rivalry is literally called bragging rights. But when Mizzou wins it, Illinois fans, oh, well, of course you can beat us while we're down. You know, this is a bad year for us. You give me a break. It's hilarious. Illinois came in ranked, what, number 18? I think they're even still ranked today for whatever reason, which is which is a joke. Mizzou, I think, was number 32 in the, uh, in the, in the AP poll. So they got some votes. I don't really care about Mizzou not being ranked. 
because there's still such a length of season to get through. Like the ultimate thing for Missouri would be get back to the NCAA tournament and win a game while you're there. That's really what would just do my heart some good to see from Mizzou. It's been a while since they've been able to do that. They've been in the NCAA tournament. It's only been a couple few years since they've gotten there. I believe they lost to Oklahoma the last time in an 8-9 matchup when they were there. Or it might have been 7-10. I don't know. But they lost to OU, as I recall it. And it's like, even just seeing them get back to the tournament would be so fun. But wouldn't it be so fun to win a game in the NCAA tournament? Like, it's, I don't ask for a lot in life. <laughs> this would just be really cool. And and I think I think there's a world in which Mizzou has the team to do that this year, as as displayed by the Illini game. But, like I said, I'm not going to get all, all haughty and, and say they should be ranked, you know, all this stuff. It'd be nice to be ranked because it would be a sign of what, you know, the landscape of college basketball is and your place within it. If if enough people think that you deserve to be ranked, then you get ranked. That's the way it works. But really, Mizzou's got Kentucky coming up on Wednesday night. They got to go to Arkansas after the first of the year. They kick into SEC play. Like, that's where we're really going to find out. What does Mizzou deserve? What should, what should we think about this team? SEC's a really good conference. Pretty top-heavy, though. So if Mizzou can just kind of slide into like the sixth or seventh spot in the conference by beating up on the teams below them, and you might steal a win or two from teams above you, especially if you get to play them at home, that's really what you're looking for. And at this point, because you got that win over Illinois, I'm thinking nine and nine in conference play, you're at least on the bubble. Especially if you beat Iowa State, that'd give you another non-con win. Um, you know, I don't know if Mizzou's going to make the NCAA tournament or not. I just love that it's something we can at least talk about and dream about again. And it's amazing that Dennis Gates has done this a complete turnaround rebuild with almost an entirely new cast. Kobe Brown was the star of the Bragg and Rights game, 31 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds. He was a holdover. Says a lot about him that he stayed through, you know, it's his final year in college basketball. He's a senior. He could have gone anywhere else. Teams that played against him knew last year he was Mizzou's only good player. And so the fact that he stayed and is now getting to reap some of the rewards of that by, like, taking it to Illinois and winning that game, doing what he did to to make it happen, that was really cool to see. I root for Kobe Brown. But everybody else that comes in from the Horizon League and all these different places, and you're like, this isn't going to – you know, it's, it's kind of cute that Dennis Gates is bringing all his guys from Cleveland State and some of the guys that he played against in that conference. But, like, the Horizon League is not the SEC. This is not going to fly. Well, we haven't really seen how it's going to look against SEC competition yet. I, I agree. But what he did was Dennis Gates brought in a bunch of experienced players who play as a team. You know, like under any other Mizzou season, we would be only talking about how Isaiah Mosley, the Missouri State transfer that was supposed to be the most impactful guy on the transfer market that they got, how he's not even playing in half of the games. And when he does play, he plays for eight or nine minutes, and it's not, you know, all that impactful. We'd be talking about that. Instead, we're just talking about, like, Mizzou. It doesn't really matter who or what or why. It, they're winning games. They're playing hard. They're fun to watch. It's awesome. I It's giving me life. Mizzou basketball's giving me life. That's all I wanted to say. Want to be able to get to that. I don't think they're going to beat Kentucky tomorrow on Wednesday. Like, it is a home game, and, and Kentucky's had some of their issues. But, my goodness, just if they, they make it competitive, it'll just show me that they're not going to have any of those games where you lose to a UMKC. You don't you don't get blown out of buildings the way that it was happening last year. They win one more game. They've matched last year's win total. They're gonna do it at some point. And they're gonna they're gonna pass it up. They might win 20 games. They might be a bubble team. My expectations, I'm gonna try to keep them in check. If they win one of the next two games against Kentucky or at Arkansas, which you can't you can't win at Arkansas, they're top ten team and you go on the road. But like if they hang in 
to both of those games, and then they start beating the team. Like Vanderbilt, they play Texas A&M. Like, those are winnable games. They start beating up on some of the teams that are in their tier, and they can separate themselves into that. Like, be like top seven, top eight even, could get you onto the bubble, maybe into the tournament. Love what I'm seeing from Mizzou basketball. And the fact that we're not talking about, like, the things that are bad that we could be talking about. Like, whoa, why why isn't Aiden Shaw playing? Why isn't, why isn't Noah Carter in the game? Isaiah Mosley's not playing. Like, th- those guys... Those three, I think, combined for maybe 11 minutes in the, the bragging rights win. It doesn't matter. Like, Dennis Gates has done a great job just bringing in experience. Guys, he, it's like he basically said, I'm not going to lose in my first season at Mizzou. I'm not going to get my my ass handed to me. I'm going to bring in guys that I know are just winning players, and they're going to play as a team, and we're going to make it happen. You know, we might not be the most talented or the, the, the mo- team with the most size, but we're going to play hard, and we're going to have a purpose with what we're doing. I'm starting to believe it. I mean, with what they did to Illinois, how could you not? Illinois, by all accounts, more talent, more, you know, pedigree, I should say. I'm not going to say more talent because Mizzou took it to them. But, like, there's more of a pedigree to some of the players that they brought in compared to bringing in guys from the Horizon League and and beating, beating them down that way. But the cool part about it is Dennis Gates brings in these guys, and then he gets a chance to start recruiting, like, the actual, not to say that the guys that he has aren't the guys that he wants, but, like, you start to recruit some 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", guys where he wants to play positionless basketball and have truly a Leonard Hamilton Florida State but make it actually work. That's a, that's a Florida State team that has been pretty bad this year. But I'm really excited. I want to see what, what Dennis Gates is able to do. Um, I would say my, my feelings right now about Mizzou basketball a lot higher than uh, they are about Mizzou football just because I think Drinkwitz and the football team, ha- ha- they've got more questions, uh, particularly on offense. Probably need an offensive coordinator. Need to figure out if Brady Cook is your quarterback and if he can take you to where you want to go. Defense looks good, though. They're getting more good news about guys that are staying, aren't transferring, aren't going pro. So that they should have a good a good portion of their defense back for next year. But, man, the basketball team, I'm hype about it. I want to see what they do on Wednesday. And maybe if it's interesting enough, we'll do another P-Shape Daily about it as well. I'm trying to get some stuff up there on the Patreon for you guys. If you subscribe, uh, appreciate you bearing with me through the holidays. Um, going to be great 2023 for the Patreon and if you like Be Shape Daily, you like what we're doing here, that's the way you can support me and uh, and be along for the ride as we get this thing really rolling in 2023. So appreciate you guys. Check it out, patreon.com slash bshaper12 if you want to give that a look. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll have plenty of Cardinals talk when stuff happens, but uh, we'll try to keep checking in here periodically uh, even when there's not a whole lot of news to talk about. And if there's something you want me to get on top of, at bshaper12 on Twitter, you can send me a message and say, talk about this on the show. And uh, I'll be more than happy to do it if it's something that makes sense. So appreciate you guys, as always. We'll talk to you next time on Be Shaped Daily. Peace.